0: informing america's farmers and ranchers it's adams on agriculture produced by the american ag radio network here's your host mike adams and hello everyone welcome to adams
1: on agriculture thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day and we hope you're having a good day here's what we're going to be talking about kurt Kavarik. Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board will be joining us. Kind of a follow-up to our conversation yesterday with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, who told us they were trying to negotiate tax extenders, including the biodiesel tax credit, into the package to avoid the next government possible government shutdown. Uh, he told us they're working on it. A lot of things open for discussion, it's, uh, whether it's seven years or two years, whether it happens to stay in this particular vehicle they have to find another bill to attach it to all that's still up in the air. And, of course, he also told us they're not very close to getting a, a deal done right now. But uh, we're going to talk with uh, Kurt Kavark with the National Biodesa Board about that and some action that's being taken to urge Congress to move on that. That's coming up a little bit later on. And then as a follow-up to the uh, Super Bowl ad controversy over high-fructose corn syrup and beer, we're going to be talking with John Bodie, president and CEO of the Corn Refiners Association and John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. talked not only about that ad and the position of Anheuser-Busch, but uh, talk about high-fructose corn syrup uh, overall and just maybe uh, pass along some information you may not be aware of. So that's coming up a little bit later on in the program. But let's start things off, check on the news with Todd Neely, reporter for DTN. Todd, how are you?
2: I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having me on.
1: I know you are watching closely, as many are, the confirmation process for Andrew Wheeler to be the full-time administrator at EPA. That process takes another step today, doesn't it?
2: It does, Mike. Uh, Wheeler is uh, up for up for the full administrator position at EPA, and that uh, that's come before the Senate Environment Public Works Committee today. And so um, I suspect we're going to have another debate about this. Uh, you know, we've already seen... Plenty of opposition from the Democrats. And I think, um, you know, as this goes forward, I think we're probably going to get a vote possibly today, the way it sounds. Um, and we'll see where it goes from there. I know that, um, you know, biofuels interests are still really concerned about what Wheeler is doing, you know, on a number of fronts with uh, small refinery waivers, E15, and all those ethanol issues we talk about. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out because this is a committee that. Um, you know, there's not a lot of major ethanol support on this particular committee, uh, but we'll see how it goes.
1: Are you hearing anything to make you think he will not be confirmed?
2: Uh, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case, but, uh, you know, the way things are at this point, who knows, right? Um, I think when you look at what he's been doing uh, since he came in as, as the acting administrator, you um, you know, he's been very open and honest with, with people who come to him with questions. Um, I know from from our experiences we've heard Senator Grassley a couple of times talk about how uh, Wheeler understands a lot of the situation that mm-hmm. ethanol is facing at this point. And I think um, when you look at those things, I, I think his openness, you know, even, even people who oppose him have had to acknowledge that he's been very open and out front on, on a lot of issues. And so um, I, I think he will probably pass through, but, uh, you know, as we've seen in recent years here, you know, these things are never a done deal, and there's always some sort of a battle to be had.
1: Yeah, and there's certainly, as you said, you referred to this, uh, the renewable fuels industry has some uh, reservations, I think, and... uh, I, I don't know that they feel completely comfortable with his answers, or in some cases, non-answers to right. some questions like reallocating gallons, uh, loss to the the, the waivers and yeah. exemptions, and what that policy will be moving forward.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the big question. I mean, I, we from all we're hearing, E15 is definitely moving, um, so whether it actually makes it in time for the driving season is really still an open-ended question, but... Uh, when you hear about the small refinery waivers and the things that EPA is doing or not doing, uh, they've been rather quiet on this, and they've been rather, uh, at this point, it, it still appears as if, you know, they're considering all and every request that comes to them for a waiver, and I think that's uh, that's something they have to do, but I, I don't think we have a clear answer yet on, uh, you know, how this Wheeler EPA is going to handle this issue exactly.
1: But on another issue where... Agriculture in general would seemingly be very supportive, of EPA's position on a new Waters of the U.S. rule.
2: Absolutely, you know, and that's something that hasn't changed. You know, after after Scott Pruitt uh, had had left the agency, uh, you know, the the balls continued to roll. You know, this this rule is uh, is slated for completion, I believe, in September. Um, and as you know, all these all these. Uh, all these types of things end up in court at some point. I think we definitely will see that. Um, but, yeah, Wheeler definitely is the kind of uh, the kind of guy that I think at this point is really not rocking the boat on that end. And, and I think, you know, this rule is going to get done, and it's very favorable at this point.
1: So we'll watch and see how that confirmation process uh, proceeds. Speaking of proceeding, we're kind of getting a little more of an idea how USDA plans to uh, – Uh, implement the farm bill which was set back by the government shutdown and of course there's a potential of another one of those so uh kind of a start and stop type of a process for this farm bill
2: yeah you know and it's it's interesting because this morning uh senator pat roberts was speaking at a a farm foundation event uh talking about the implement implementation of the farm bill um he doesn't see another government shutdown coming this time around and so um i think his his kind of side of this is that we want this thing not to happen again and that uh, even if it does, I think there's plenty of support for getting this farm bill implemented as, as best they can. I know uh, they're moving rather quickly on trying to get a lot of things done. Um, you know, there's even going to be some listening sessions on this along the way. And so it's. I think that's what some people forget. You know, once the farm bill is passed, that's part of it. But implementing it is equally, if not more important.
1: Yeah, it's a huge task. That's for sure. Lots of details. Mm-hmm. and you throw in a government shutdown, it complicates it even more. Well, we're coming off the talks with China last week. Uh, there seems to be optimism. There some soybean purchases, not uh, as many as uh, still hope would be or will be to come. Uh, but it's going to be interesting how this plays out between now and March 1st. And uh, is that a hard deadline? Does that wind up getting extended if things are going Reasonably well in talks. I mean, uh, still a lot of questions here.
2: Yeah, I think so. And uh, you know, I when you look at this and you hear the president's comments on it, you get the sense that it's it's moving along pretty well. Uh, but to actually get this thing on paper and get the rules in place that will you know to provide the protections to American consumers, um, right. this is a long ways off yet, really, when you look at it. But uh, I, th- I think you're right. I think some of the news coming out of last week's talks makes it seem that at that March 1st deadline is is probably going to be okay. You know, there's obviously concern that if the U.S. ups the tariffs, uh, you know, we've got an even tougher situation on our hands. And so, yeah, I, I think positively speaking, this is definitely moving at least in the right direction, it sounds.
1: Yeah, even though in agriculture we tend to look at it mainly from a soybean perspective, we're reminded there are a lot (laughs) of other uh, layers to this, that's for sure, that have an impact on how it's going to turn out. Well, Todd, always good to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you,
2: Mike.
1: All right, we'll check in again soon. Todd Neely, DTN reporter, joining us here on Adams on Agriculture. Coming up next, Kurt Kavarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. We learned yesterday about the... Work uh, underway in the Senate trying to get something done on the tax credit for biodiesel and a tax extenders package. We'll get an update on that as we continue here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us.
3: No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Probably.
1: Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent?
6: What do I do next? Do you have the same questions I'll tell you like I'll tell them all?
1: Call my friends at InventHelp.
0: To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432.
1: I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your
4: corner.
7: Auto financing the easy way. Information farmers and ranchers need to know.
0: Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: Yesterday, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley told us they're working on a tax extenders package, which would include the biodiesel tax credit as part of the bill they're working on to prevent another government shutdown. Um, he said, uh, though, that uh, those negotiations. Uh, As far as being close to being done, he said they're not very close at this point, but they are working on it. And now we understand the National Biodiesel Board has joined nine other trade associations, sending a letter today to House and Senate leaders on the biodiesel tax incentive. Joining us now to talk about it is Kurt Kavarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Tell us about this letter that you've sent to uh, House and Senate leaders.
8: Uh, thanks, Mike for having me on. I appreciate uh, being with you this morning. Uh, the letter that we sent this morning with a uh, a handful of other trade associations you mentioned nine uh, represent a broad uh, industry support for uh, biodiesel generally and uh, the support for the biodiesel tax credit specifically. the The trade associations represent essentially, you know much of the of the supply chain from uh, the feedstock providers, whether that be the soybean growers or the, or the renderers or animal fats, to the biodiesel producers, and, um, and then uh, our downstream marketing uh, friends with uh, the truck stops, the petroleum marketers, convenience stores, et cetera. So it, it shows uh, strong, unanimous support within the, the entire uh, feedstock to producer, to supply chain, uh, industry support for biodiesel and the biodiesel tax credit.
1: So Senator Grassley yesterday indicated, you know, yeah, that you want to get that seven-year certainty for the the tax incentive for biodiesel, but uh, you know, might it might take something less, like a two-year, or it might not even be in this bill. It might need another vehicle to be attached to. Uh, it sounds like everything's on the table still at this point.
8: That's that's right, and and that's kind of been the. The position that we've been in for uh, many months now, and that is we've demonstrated strong bipartisan support, both in the House and the Senate, for acting on the body, so tax credit, we've simply needed uh, both the vehicle and the willingness of the leadership of the two bodies to engage in doing uh, tax extenders on that vehicle. So we pursued it in the fall, Um, there was a proposal introduced in the House last fall that. If you correctly state, would have been a seven-year extension of the tax credit, which was uh, ideal in our in our view, provide that long-term certainty for everybody in this marketplace to develop new feedstocks, to expand production, and to uh, put the infrastructure in place to blend the fuel. That didn't get, get across the finish line because there was just too much uh, uh, p- partisan, I guess, feelings around tax policy generally. Plus, you know, the Congress couldn't even come around to fund the government. So we had a government shutdown for 35 days. We worked in that period of time to, uh, you know, garner the necessary support to make sure that whenever there's an opportunity, when we're reopening the government, whatever must-pass piece of legislation, that extenders is, is, in, is part of that conversation. And, and Chuck Grassley's been our strongest proponent, our biggest champion. He's chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. We're, we're ecstatic that he is talking about the need to address these extenders because quite frankly that's what it is there's an urgent need with this tax credit having been lapsed since january 1 2018 to provide that forward-looking certainty to, to everyone in this chain because quite frankly starting on january 1st 2018 in order for a producer to sell the fuel and a marketer to blend the fuel everyone assumes the tax credit is in place so they, they price that into the product they price it into the contract so essentially Everyone who's doing business in this space right now is carrying a lot of financial obligation related to that tax credit coming back, and so we're hopeful we're working with our champions. We've got uh, about twenty company and soybean representatives coming in this evening. We're going to do about close to sixty five uh, meetings on the hill Wednesday and Thursday to uh, kind of impart the message that there's there's a there's an, a real urgency around getting this tax credit extended. On this vehicle that that opens the government or continues to fund the government on February fifteenth,
1: seven years would be wonderful, but I was thinking even two years would be more certainty than you've had uh, for a long time
8: yeah i don't I don't want to negotiate with ourselves and I don't want to undercut our our champions who are trying to get us a long term deal. But the fact of the matter is we have a lot of folks who are a little bit over their skis financing wise because the tax credit has has not been in place over the last you know, 14 months. So uh, any extension is better than no extension. The longer term, the better.
1: Kurt, how does, it, how does that work? As you said, the way it's been lately is it gets it gets uh, reinstated retroactively for a year that's already passed. So is there a reimbursement? Is that how that works?
8: Yes. Yeah, so so anyone who blends the fuel will file with the IRS, uh, the gowns that they blended, and then there will be, you know, they'll, they'll receive that that incentive. And then based on the contracts that a producer might have or the blender might have, they'll have to share uh, portions of that, that tax incentive uh, with the other parties that they that they do business with. So, like I said, that, that this tax credit is already baked in, you know, to all of those transactions that have been taking place going back to January 1, 2018. So the first thing we need to do is make everybody whole, because they've been blending and, and marketing the fuel at a price that reflects the tax credit being in place. And then, quite frankly, Congress needs to, to, to do what they intend with the tax credit, and that is provide long-term certainty to incentivize additional growth in the the feedstock development, additional growth in the production of the fuel, and, and getting more gallons to consumers who want
1: it. We're talking with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, hard to predict what Congress is going to do, especially in this current climate and ap- political atmosphere, but it would seem this would be... Maybe the best bet right now to be in in this bill to try to i mean they'll have to come up with something eventually whether it's to avoid the shutdown or end another shutdown and there seems to be feeling not to let it happen again if it doesn't happen this time then you're you're searching for another vehicle one that you feel could pass and you know that brings more uncertainty to the process
8: that's right and quite frankly if if february 15th passes and 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 it's a it's a large bill that that funds the government through the year, resolves the immigration issues in the in the near or medium term, and it does not include extenders then then we're in a tough spot looking for the next vehicle. So I would encourage anybody who has a, a stake in the in the soybean complex or biodiesel generally, or just simply supports you know homegrown uh, renewable fuels that add value to the rural economies. Now is the time to weigh in with your with your members of Congress and say, listen. You know, we need the certainty. This needs to get done. It's it's an urgent matter. It must be on that on this uh, near term vehicle. It's moving. <clears throat>
1: well, we know you have the support of Senator Grassley. Do you have bipartisan support for this?
8: Absolutely. In fact, uh, Senator Grassley, while well, he's been our our main champion, counterpart on the other side of the aisle is Senator uh, Maria Cantwell from Washington State. She's been just as loud and just a, a stronger strong advocate as Senator Grassley has been, which we really appreciate. We've always had 15 or 20 bipartisan uh, sponsors on the bill that extends it. In the House, we've consistently had between 40 and 55 members who sign on to a letter ur- urging their leadership to uh, enact a long-term extension. So the support is there. It's just a matter of, you know, when the mo- vehicle is going to move and does it have the bandwidth to kind of carry some of these extraneous items. And that's, so that's gonna- our goal. That's our agenda. And that's our, our, uh, our, our talking points.
1: That's why you're going to work the, the hill very hard this week, then. Yes, sir. So when we look at uh, this process, uh, wow! Again, as I said, it, it is hard to predict what Congress will do. Um, do you get the? Have you heard any strong opposition to including a tax extenders into this package?
8: No, very little. I only. <clears throat> the only concern might be, you know, when, when Congress considers a large bill. Um, you know, everybody views it as a must-pass vehicle that can carry other things. And does it get too large, and that kind of bring the whole bill down? We don't have that that feeling right now. Um, and, and extenders are such a small component; they're broadly supported. Uh, even the even the chairman of the of the committee in the last Congress, a Republican from Texas, in his bill, he proposed uh, extending the extenders. So there, there's there's very little opposition as far as as we're aware to uh, the policy and the need to act on them
1: but as we've learned it's not over till it's over and you have to keep trying you can't take anything for granted
8: that's right it feels like groundhogs day around here a little bit you know this tax credit is, has existed since 2005 it's been off as much as it's been on so we've we've had to do this before we've been successful at it and i'm I'm confident we, we we've got we've got the the policy arguments on our side for 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 the ag economy, for clean energy, for reduction of co- carbon emissions, I'm confident at the end of the day we'll win. Uh, it's just we got to put in the work.
1: All right, Kurt. Uh, we'll talk again soon, hopefully about it uh, its passage. But uh, we'll we'll stay in touch with you to get keep updated on it. Thank you very much.
8: I hope you're right. Thank you, sir. Have a great day.
1: Take care, Kurt Kavaric, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National BioDiesel Board. And as you heard. Uh, the National Biodiesel Board and their supporters uh, for this tax extension, this tax credit, as part of a tax extenders package in this uh, government funding bill. Uh, That's a priority. They're working hard on it, and we'll try to get that message across and see if they can help get that bill passed here very soon. Well, lots of controversy from the Super Bowl on Sunday. An ad, a beer ad, saying they're not using... High-fructose corn syrup raised a lot of questions and some concerns. We're going to talk about it with John Bodie, president and CEO of the Corn Refiners Association, next on AOA.
9: Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Health Care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
1: Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-host of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there.
9: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grand and oil seed sector, we have an easier tone on this Tuesday trading session, trending 3 to 4 cents lower in wheat, 1 to 2 lower in corn, 2 to 3 in a fraction lower in soybeans. Brazilian soybean farmers finish harvesting work on 19% of their planted acreage as of the end of January. That according to agricultural consultancy, ag rural that compares with a five-year average date of six percent march soybeans closed marginally higher in a narrow trading day yesterday resistance being marked out at 931 and a quarter the bulls failing to sustain gains above the january 7th high of 927 and three quarters an hour into this tuesday session march soybeans at 915 down three and a half march corn edged higher yesterday taking back some of the gains on this tuesday still trapped within the recent range we see resistance at 383 on march support at 371 trending near 377 and a half An hour into our Tuesday session. In the Wheats, Chicago March. Down 3.5 at 5.22 and a quarter. Upside momentum stalling on that contract. At the recent swing high at 5.29, we scored that on January 25th. Kansas City Wheat, 3 to 4 cents lower. Three lower in Minneapolis spring wheat. For livestock at the Merck, live cattle futures, we're trending in nickel to $0.55 cents higher in early activity, but 50 to $0.62 cents lower in feeder cattle. Lean hog futures, 65 to $1.85 lower after triple-digit advances on Monday. The Dow is up 106 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson.
5: Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538. Immediately, that's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. ...or book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800 your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call call page publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit information
0: america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture
5: now back to mike adams
1: all right, we can already update a story. Earlier, we, t- we were talking with Todd Neely with DTN about uh, Andrew Wheeler and his confirmation process, uh, a vote today in the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. He passed there narrow vote, 11 to 10, but he did pass. Now uh, that nomination moves on to the full Senate. Well, big controversy. Who, who saw this coming? And the Super Bowl uh, on Sunday... All of a sudden, here's an ad popping up about Bud Light not using high fructose corn syrup. And immediately, the ag community reacted on Twitter uh, with their concerns and and criticisms of that move. But it also raised some questions about high fructose corn syrup, whether in beer or anything else. So let's uh, bring in our next guest, John Bodie, president and CEO of the Corn Refiners Association, and talk about this. John, thanks for being with us.
10: You bet, Mike. It's always a pleasure to talk with you.
1: Uh, did this catch you by surprise when that ad popped up uh, during the Super Bowl?
10: It sure did. <laughs> I was watching the uh, the game with friends, and, and suddenly just a, a, a quiet fell over the room, and everybody was aghast.
1: Well, I know one of the questions I saw on Twitter, and I, I would I would guess maybe a lot of people had this uh, question uh that they didn't even know high fructose corn syrup was in beer. Uh,
10: well, and and uh, some uh, w- what happens is when you make beer, you you need uh, you need sugar, uh, uh, some form of sugar, uh, to uh, fuel the fermentation, to feed the fermentation, mm-hmm. and so uh, traditionally uh, that is done from. Um, the starch makes the sugar, and so uh, corn uh, can be used to make sugars. Uh, you know, Budweiser uh, does the same thing. They, they advertise that they use rice. They use uh, rice to make a rice syrup that is then a, a sugar that, that fuels the fermentation. And so that's you know the process. And, and whether it's high fructose corn syrup or, in many cases, it's dextrose, Uh, it it is a sugar from uh, starch.
1: You know the question that came to my mind and I know a lot of other people's too and and there's a lot of conversation about this, uh, why even bring this up? It seems to be kind of in the pattern we see all so often of uh, uh, companies uh, what is called fear marketing. They, They try to promote their product by Uh, telling consumers they don't have something in it whether anyone was concerned about that or whether there was any reason to be concerned about it or not. It's just a, a marketing tool somewhat and uh, many have brought up the declining uh, uh, beer sales numbers and, and wondering if there's some, some kind of act of desperation to, to try to attract uh, to, to try to attract business to a sagging industry uh, do, do you feel that was part of it uh, that it was kind of that fear of marketing that we've seen so much uh, by other companies well uh,
10: I it, it does Look that way, I, I don't know what the facts are and what their, their thinking was. I, I can tell you that broadly as I look at food and beverages, uh, the, we, we have an unusual situation because this is one category of consumer products where consumers do not embrace technology. Uh, you know they'll stand all night in line to get the newest uh, uh, electronic gadget, uh, but they they don't want anything that is uh, new. They they like the idea of natural uh, in regarding uh, their food. They don't even like the idea of, of hybridizing seeds uh, to to make food. Uh, so. They are very anti-technology, and that means that if you're a consumer product company um, like like a beer, uh, you've got to come up with something exciting that is going to sell your product. And when you you can't do anything new, uh, you tend to market absence claims by saying, we don't have this or we don't have that, even if it is a meaningless distinction. You do it because it's true, but also it's misleading because uh, it implies that the absence of something is makes it better. Does that now make sense? Ha-
1: yeah, yeah, it does. We have seen questions raised and criticisms leveled at high fructose corn syrup in the past for being used in soda. Uh, we've not seen it in beer. Uh, tell us about the use of high fructose corn syrup uh... in general and in some of these beverage products in particular
10: well, uh... high fructose corn syrup is nutritionally equivalent to sucrose uh... or or sugar from uh... what what we commonly call sugar uh... it, it uh, has uh, roughly the same molecular composition and and your body metabolizes it in the same way so all the scientific authorities uh, 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 agree that nutritionally it's it's the same. There are uh, some advantages uh, in in the way it operates in cooking uh, or as an ingredient. So high fructose corn syrup actually has uh, significant advantages in beverages relative to uh, sugar syrup. Uh, And that is why uh, we sell a tremendous amount, about a half billion dollars a year in uh, high-fructose corn syrup to Mexico, a, a major sugar exporting country. Um, we, we don't have a price advantage there, but it just works so much better in beverages uh, that it's used there. So it, it is used um, extensively in beverages, and, and the big advantage there is um, – is is. Uh, it it keeps working well, it has good sh- uh, shelf stability and uh, it it will not um, not tend to separate uh, so uh, that that's a major advantage. and it also has a big advantage in in baked goods just because it tends to retain moisture better uh, than its competitors and so uh, if if you you like a, a, um, a baked good that is, is nice and moist, like a muffin that holds its moisture. Uh, it, it's a big advantage to use high fructose corn syrup as opposed to an alternative sweetener. Uh, there, there are also times when it doesn't work as well. So if, if you want a good, crisp sugar cookie, you, you need to use sugar, not high fructose corn syrup.
1: We're talking with John Bode, president and CEO of the Corn Refiners Association. John, uh, a lot of concern about obesity in this country. Uh, High fructose corn syrup has been kind of targeted uh, in that battle. Uh, What is the usage rate? Are we seeing it go down, stay steady? Where are we at with high fructose corn syrup?
10: It's been declining. Uh, First of all, consumption of sugars has been declining uh, in the U.S., uh for a- almost 20 years now and uh, uh high fructose corn syrup has had uh the lion's share of that decline and and that is because people are simply consuming a lot less uh of uh soft drinks uh and that's uh that's a major use so that's the decline um, i i would say I, i've I've been working around nutrition policy for for 40 years now, and uh, the the federal government has had a series of single nutrient initiatives. Um, Mike, you know they they used to say avoid cholesterol at all costs, and then it was avoid fat, and and then we had a broad anti-carb effort. Now there's a fixation on sugars, and what that that's all ex- that that all makes for exciting headlines, but the mainstream scientific community keeps coming back and saying you need to have a balanced approach, and um, and uh, moderate your consumption of of calories and try to burn more calories, and that's how you maintain weight. That's the key. So my, my point is. When we keep having these single nutrient uh, focuses, uh, whether it's sugar or whether it's it's uh, cholesterol, uh, it, it is an unbalanced product. and that's why throughout this time, where the federal government has been telling us what to eat, the obesity rate.
1: Is- yeah, you're cutting out a little bit on us here, John, but just want to wrap up. Uh, uh, So now you're in the midst of a beer war. Some saying they still use it, some saying now they don't use it. Uh, Kind of interesting times.
10: It is, but I tell you what, I think this is going to work out just fine because uh, when it gets down to it, uh, I I think uh, a a major, the the world's largest uh, beer company really wants to be uh, uh, shooting at America's corn farmers and and uh, and uh, America's leading crop—that's uh, um, that's that's just not a smart thing to do. I, I think, if anything, it's probably going to be bad for beer overall. Uh, and um, we'll see. We're going to just keep telling the truth.
1: Yeah, it was a strange marketing strategy. Time will tell how it works or does not work for them. John, thank you uh, for being with us, giving us your perspective and an update on high fructose corn syrup. Thank you very much.
10: Thanks, Mike. You take care.
1: Good to talk with you again. John Bode, president and CEO of the Corn Refiners Association. All right, so a lot of people took to Twitter. A lot of uh, farmers, uh, a lot of uh, people in agriculture spoke out on that issue uh, when that ad started running on the the Super Bowl on Sunday. We're going to get some reaction from John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. We'll get his thoughts on uh, this ad and position about high fructose corn syrup. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams
3: on Agriculture.
1: Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-host of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there.
4: Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.
9: Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and week in review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Or you can search for the American Ag Network.
1: This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina
9: Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device.
11: You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four, $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: Well, welcome back. We just talked with John Bodie, President and CEO of the Corn Refiners Association. He said he was caught by surprise when the ad popped up during the Super Bowl by Anheuser-Busch that Bud Light is not using high-fructose corn syrup. Let's talk down with John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers. What did you think when you saw or heard about that ad.
6: I tell you what, I was in a. Uh, we're here in Denver. Uh, we're having a, uh, about a hundred growers together for committee meetings and our board meeting. Uh, the the motion here was enough. We're angry. Uh, they messed with the wrong folks, um, and we're mad. And we've let them know that. Uh, it's been amazing, the, the reaction we've had. Um, AB did the wrong thing, and, um, you know, that ad was, was foolish. Um, you know, they use corn syrup and a lot of different products that they produce. Uh, you know, they're just trying to go ahead and, and get the market share away from Miller Lite, Coors Light, But that ad failed, and uh, I tell you what, I've, I'm real happy with what our organization has done. We've took the, the battle back to AB, and we're winning.
1: Yeah, I said earlier it seemed like kind of a desperation move. We know sales have not been good for them, uh, you know, have been down, and it almost seemed like uh, they're trying to appeal to somebody that they think would somehow spark their sales, and it may have backfired on them.
6: You know, one of the favorite things people do that, uh, the Monday after the Super Bowl game is talk about the ads, and the ad that, that we're seeing and, you know, looking at, at uh, uh at the media is that the media is talking about the Bud Light uh, ad, but for all the wrong reasons.
1: Yeah, uh, had there been any conversations between Anheuser Busch and, and corn growers uh, about this issue in the past, or or this just kind of come out of the out of left field on you?
6: This came out of the left field. None of us were were uh, thinking that that was what was going to happen. We were... ad came on and. And uh, everyone wondered where the heck did this come from. Um, there was no, there was no heads up at all.
1: You know, it's it's in st- such stark contrast to a few years ago when we had the commercial with Paul Harvey uh, that was so pro-farmer, uh, and that received such a positive response. And then you have just the opposite in this ad.
6: The thing, though, Mike, is that that. Um, we we took a lemon and, and we're making lemonade out of it. Um, I'm here with a hundred farmers in in uh, Denver. Uh, they're all excited about their their organization. They're excited about their industry because we've turned this thing around. And, and uh, what we said to to Anheuser Busch is, "How dare you attack farmers? The farm economy is tough right now, you're doing that gratuitous, uh, ill-informed ad, and we've had enough." You know, and it isn't about corn syrup. You, you know, it could have been about GMOs, or it could have been about something else, uh, enough of, of this. Um, you know, the reaction that uh, we've had from a lot of Americans who have nothing to do with, with agriculture is, you know what, why, why pick on farmers when they're down? And that's what it, uh, Anheuser-Busch did. And, um, you know, I think this thing, uh, in a lot of ways, gave us an opportunity to go ahead and, and leverage uh, this opportunity to talk about the things that are important to us. Yeah, about the sustainability practices that our our farmers are engaging in, about all the good things that uh, is going on uh, on the farm and in the corn industry. Um, you know, uh, AB gave us an opportunity to talk about good things. Uh, they didn't. I don't think they touched us on uh, on the corn syrup issue at all.
1: How concerned are you though, John, about high fructose corn syrup? John Bodie told us about the use has been going down because soda consumption has been down. That's been you know, a big user of high fructose corn syrup. Uh, there's the obesity issue and some have uh, linked that to high fructose corn syrup. What do you see as the future of this product moving forward?
6: Well, first of all, let's differentiate between corn syrup and high fructose corn syrup. The, the uh, A lot of uh, breweries use corn syrup, not high fructose corn syrup, but they're using corn syrup to accelerate the, the fermentation process. So they're not adding high fructose corn syrup to the product after it's, it's been fermented. So uh, yes, uh, high fructose corn syrup um, uh, sales are down in this country. I think a lot of people uh, have realized that what we've been telling them is true. If you drink too much soda with a whole lot of fructose in it, you're going to get fat so you know i think americans are are realizing that uh, moderation in all things is good um and maybe we're we're seeing uh the result of of what we've said to people is you can't drink uh 36 ounces uh, or or uh, or more of of uh, soda every day and um not exercise and expect to, to be uh, slim and trim so you know that's part of it uh but overseas sales are are up uh you know, this is a product that's going to, we're going to have to continue to defend, but we're also going to have to make sure that we we're talk about it responsibly. Um, you know, it is a it's a safe product. It's no different than sugar. Uh So it doesn't matter if you go ahead and replace fructose syrup in, in a soda with, with cane sugar or beet sugar. Sugar is sugar is sugar. Calories are calories are calories. So, uh, you know... Americans are, are looking to reduce their calorie intake, and this is one of them. Um, but it isn't, we, we, we need to differentiate between reducing your calories and demonizing a product.
1: Have you talked with or heard from anyone at Anheuser-Busch since Sunday, or do you plan to?
6: Yes, we have, and yes, we will. And I, I'm, I'm, you... I'm not trying to be cute, but what <laughs> we, we had a very interesting conversation yesterday, um hmm. And uh, we uh, have a plan to have further discussions with them next week. And I would say that this is uh, uh, this will be an ongoing discussion, um, and um, we we intend to use this uh, to leverage some, some things that I think will be beneficial for the corn industry.
1: Did they uh, did they understand your concerns?
6: We made it abundantly clear, but I tell you what—I think they realized uh, uh, before the conversation began that uh, they they messed with the wrong folks. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Well, we look forward to learning more about those discussions and uh, what might come from this in the future. John, thanks for being with us.
6: I thank you, Mike, and I'll just tell you—we're in Denver, Colorado, and there's another brewery up of the up the uh, up the <laughs> road, and we're going to be having a conversation with them today too.
1: Okay, very good. John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. Sounds like we've not heard the last about this uh, issue, all coming from that ad in the, uh, the Super Bowl on Sunday. All right, hope you'll join us again tomorrow. We'll talk about trade, farm bill implementation, and much more right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.